NBC News Talk 1080. This is Will Marotti, the Will Marotti Show. Will is, uh, is, I feel fine. I feel absolutely fine. My voice is just not fine. But I am, I am under, I am under doctor supervision. I am under care. I'm taking uh, medication. I'm taking Manuka honey. Uh, it's supposed to be a, and many of you now have, have contacted me and said it's, it's a wonder, it's a wonder, uh, not a drug. It's not a drug. It's very natural. It's a honey that comes from New Zealand or Australia, and uh, and uh, it's it has incredible medicinal purposes. Anyway, uh, I, I we've got Chris Powell on the line, but I told John and Wayne I'd grab their calls before because they've been waiting for a long time. John, thank you so much for waiting. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi, John. Go ahead. You're on. Thank you for waiting. Oh, hey. Well. Hey, um, yeah, sorry to hear about your, uh, about being sick and all that, but, uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. I feel fine. Thank all you. All right. Uh, let me, um, start up by explaining why I don't call up more than I, uh, than I want to. Um, you have some of the great, you have some great, uh, listeners and callers. And, you know, I feel like sometimes if I call up, I'm, gonna, I'm not adding anything to the show when it comes to like, you know, people from, um, you know, what's his name from, uh, Simsbury and Rudy and Ken. Oh, sure. Sure. Um, yeah. I and mean, it seems like they sit up and research this stuff. And if not, yeah. I mean, they're very intelligent people. So with that being said, I'm going to make a comment about the Electoral College without doing any research. Okay. The, um, I, the fact that you have 30% of Americans that feel that the, uh, the country is going in the, in the uh, right direction is exactly the reason not to ever get rid of the Electoral College. Amen. Because... <laughs> Because if you ever got rid of the Electoral College, they will be the ones that would be deciding right. the president. Right. Well, as you say, John, and, and I have done some research on it, one of the main reasons the Founding Fathers opted for the Electoral College is exactly what you're saying. They didn't want mob rule. They didn't want the smallest, loudest, most angriest group to get control of the country. And, and, and it has a lot to do with population centers. So who would, who, would, who would lead the country? The West Coast and the East Coast. Everybody else, we don't care what you think. So the Electoral College is so vital to our republic. It's, it's unbelievable. It'd be a disaster without it. Absolutely is. Absolutely is. It's, uh, it's just something that you, you, you always hear, but no one really explains it all that well. You yeah. know, it's like, it, it's, yeah, you got the theory and all that, and people are probably sitting there, from there uh, you know, what are you talking about? How does that even make sense? Right. You need to, right. you need more than fifty percent of somebody to agree on something, or else the extremists are the ones that win. Right. Right. You know, no, that's but, exactly yeah. what's going to happen. So, no, you are you are so correct, and and I and I hope that we never we never fall for the lie that oh you know because we don't have a democracy. A democracy is one person, one vote, and it's all and that's how it, it gets determined. We have a democratic republic, much much different. All right. Uh, one last quick call, and then and Chris Powell, uh, Wayne in Bristol. Hi, Wayne. Good morning. How are you doing, Pastor? Well, good. How are you? And I was just wondering about uh, says if you had the opportunity to uh, watch Demish D'Souza's Two Thousand Mules, and, and what your thoughts are on you that. Know, I've 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 gotten so many comments and incredible reviews about it. I'm going to watch it probably after after May. I'm just too busy right now, but I My do want to watch it. And I, and I think it's it's probably from what I'm reading and what people are telling me, it's a it's a great warning signal to us. So we've got to we've got to watch out, we've got to watch all aspects of the election, and be very careful and monitor these things because this ballot harvesting, ballot stuffing stuff, 
is just it's just poisonous to the election process. Well, they already are starting, you know, the primary votes, and we're already voting. How many sure. months ahead is that? You know, yeah. And, and again, I would I would eliminate early, early voting. You know? <laughs> I would eliminate early voting. Listen, everybody knows when the election is. Same time every time. It starts at six o'clock in the morning. You're there at eight o'clock at night. If you can't find a time to vote, in that, then then if you're out of town or you're somewhere and you're incapacitated, you you get an absentee ballot. But this early voting, this mail-in balloting, it's 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 ripe. It's ripe for fraud, and it's yeah. absolutely horrible. And I yeah, and I, please please check that out. You know about that. I'm going uh, to this thing, and uh, maybe you can do something on your show about. Like to, maybe, maybe we'll it. get uh, we'll get the, the the author on Dinesh D'Souza try to get him on. Wayne, thank you so much for your call. All right, now joining us on the hotline, the former managing editor of the Journal Inquirer, uh, the one, the only Chris Powell. Chris, thanks for being patient. Welcome to the show. No, I'd be listening to it anyway, Will. So don't apologize <laughs> to me. Hey, listen, I, I this got this caught my eye and just absolutely grabbed me when I saw this because, you know, I, I we've had Democrat rule in Connecticut for a long long time decades i mean there's been some brief exceptions some windows but yet we have we have a problem with poor people and your article here i want this is what i want you to talk about why can't connecticut ever lift the poor to the middle class you know it's a, it's a it's a great question because if you didn't know better you think it was planned i mean i honestly how how, how incompetent we can't our programs are doing more to keep people in poverty then lift them out of poverty, in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, that's really the uh, suggestion of, of, of history here. You know, uh, 50 years ago, uh, one of the, uh, the first things I, I was assigned to as a young reporter was to cover a conference that was being held, uh, I think it was in West Hartford. It might have been in Hartford as well. But its, its topic was uh, the concentration of poverty in Connecticut cities and, you know, what could be could be done about it. <clears throat> that was, you know, 50 years ago, and, <laughs> and the situation is just as desperate now, uh, probably more so than it uh, than it was then. Uh, in spite of all the attention that supposedly has been paid to uh, to the issue, the, the cities are are ever more poor and ever more uh, desperate, and you know, suffering uh, crime and other depravity. Uh, and I just have to suspect that. Uh, well, the reason up for it is because we don't care. We 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 just accept it as the natural order of things. We mm. assume that nothing, uh, you know, can be done about it. I think maybe we're demoralized about it. I think the other reason is that, uh, you know, poverty is now a big business. Uh, this is a common phenomenon in government and and politics. You you see a problem, you start a program uh, in the name of uh, solving the problem, or at least uh, ameliorating it, uh, and the program, uh, you know, becomes the, uh, the, the aim in itself. It, uh, it's just uh, sustaining itself. It, it loses sight of the problem it's, uh, it's supposed to be, be solving. Um, if we really cared about uh, the poverty in the, in the cities, uh, uh, we'd at least audit the results of our policies, <laughs> and we don't audit can't the do results that, of our policies. Come on. Do you uh, want to check on the effectiveness of what we're doing? Can't do that. Come on. Yeah, and, <laughs> we're and, government. And we that, don't do that. That. <laughs> that, that, would, that would be the beginning of a solution, at least to, <laughs> to see if what we're doing works. But uh, I don't think we're really trying to uh, 
eliminate uh, poverty anymore. I think we're just sustaining the people who were employed in the name of uh, uh, eliminating poverty. That doesn't make them bad people, but no, it, no. it means that the policy is is, is failing, and uh, we, we we won't even we won't even audit it. Uh, and I think. Uh, I think really it's coming to the point where where government is manufacturing poverty. You yeah. know, my hobby horses and the, <clears throat> the welfare policy destroying the the family and education policy in Connecticut now is is only social promotion and then throwing more and more money at uh, at school staff, even though we don't get any improvement in uh, in school performance in in the cities, but we. We don't audit these failures. Well, why not? And I guess we don't audit them because the the policies are are just employing too many people who'd be upset if we, you know, we moved their uh, their water dish. I mean, think about it. I hate to sound jaded, but you know, you know how I feel about government. Think if we eliminated. Let's just throw a number at it. Let's eliminate twenty five percent of people that are are poor and move them into the middle class, self-sustaining, working people, taking care of themselves, not needing the government. How much bureaucracy and how many people could we get out of work if we just did that? 25%, right? I mean, this is all about big, it's just, I mean, again, I, I'm not looking for you to agree with this, but I, I, this is how I feel. I feel it's the same thing with abortion. It's big business. People make lots of money off of it. Poverty in America has become big business. How many trillions of dollars have we spent on the war on poverty since Lyndon Johnson? And you know what? We haven't improved. And in some cases, you go to San Francisco, Seattle, it's worse. It's worse than it's ever been. So, you know, I just think there's too much money involved. And I think there's too many people that, again, as you said, just want trying to sustain their jobs. The last thing they want is less poor people. Yeah, you know, if <laughs> you know, if government ever solved any of these problems, you know, the the people who were in, employed by the problem solving agency would uh, would have to find another line of work. But uh, you look, you take you take education. Uh, I would like to ask anybody in authority, and certainly the candidates for governor this year, how does social promotion in the schools uh, contribute to self sufficiency? For, for young people as they're they're growing up, it doesn't. Uh, you know, it, it tells them that uh, you know they're doing okay when they're not doing okay. Uh, it doesn't uh, equip them to to you know find uh, you know good employment once they're 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 out of school. I mean, the whole the whole system really is 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 made to uh, make people incapable of doing anything other than you know passing hamburgers out of a drive-through window well i've got good news for you chris you're gonna like this i've got a theory i got a theory that for the next few years the rate of social promotion is going to decline and here's why i know for a fact the public schools are going crazy they're desperate because parents are pulling their kids out of public school homeschooling is surging private school enrollment is increasing they're losing those kids what does that mean they're losing dollars and when they lose dollars that means people are going to have to get cut off so I think my theory is that they're going to cut down, they're going to be more critical about who they're promoting because they want to keep these kids in school longer because the number, of, the total number of enrollment has been declining so precipitously. Well, yeah, my problem with that is that the, you know, the kids who were being withdrawn from 
failing schools uh, are probably mostly kids who have parents who are uh, concerned with their education. Uh, this, this is the population that we've been drawing into magnet schools, but the price of this has been to withdraw from the ordinary neighborhood schools the uh, the kids who are the better students. And this has been leaving the neighborhood schools in Hartford with uh, uh, more and more neglected kids, or a, a bigger proportion of their, their students are, are neglected kids. Uh, this this is the the core problem that we we don't we don't address. We have this permanent underclass yeah. in Connecticut and and throughout throughout the country, and it is it consists you know mainly of kids who don't have two parents in the home. We've got uh, a single mother who is uh, very stressed, sometimes uh, disturbed, and. Uh, uh, is is not really a good parent. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't good single parents. There are. There's many of them. But on the whole, single parenthood uh, correlates with all the the negative consequences of life, from inadequate education to unhappiness and depression and physical and mental illness. This social science has been pretty settled for a few decades now, and yet we... You know, we just uh, we just ignore it. We just uh, let it go on. We uh, we destroy the family with uh, welfare pa- payments, with telling people it's okay to have kids outside of marriage because the government will support you, and the government will support you in the belief that it's cheaper for the government to uh, support uh, kids in inadequate homes than it is to uh, take them, uh, put them into group homes, or get them adopted. Uh, well, you know what? It, it's it's cheaper in the short term, but in the long term, it's it's a disaster for society. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I I, I have mixed emotions about public education. I mean, I got I got through school. I guess it turned out okay. Uh, you, I'm sure you went through. I, I, did you go through public school or private school? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I, I I did go through uh, public school here in, in in Manchester, and yet. Uh, when I uh, got married and uh, we had a had a daughter, I was uh, very grateful uh, to the Catholic Church for maintaining the Catholic school system here in Manchester because uh, the public schools in Manchester are not performing even half as well as they they were when uh, when I was going to school. Um, you know, this was a kind of self selection that uh, I was just talking about the the kids who've got parents and who are insisting that they take their education seriously or uh you know as as you remarked they're tending to withdraw from the system and finding alternatives but this still leaves us with the uh the, the core of the underclass uh, right. Right. being socially promoted and uh uh, this is the, you know, this is a disaster for society and for for democracy. Look, it's a disaster for, for you know, the industry that I spent my life in, uh, mm-hmm. you know, which is the newspaper industry, and uh, sure. uh, it's leading me to believe that there's going to be no future in Connecticut for any industry that uh, depends on literacy and civic engagement. Let me just shift gears for a second here, Chris. I want to talk about something that you also wrote about. My daughter recently moved uh, from Manhattan. Prices, once COVID was over, they started skyrocketing rent prices again. So she recently moved over to Brooklyn, although still works in Manhattan. And uh, while we were... Brooklyn's as expensive as Manhattan. Well, they, they, found a, they found a pretty good deal. But what's happening in Brooklyn is, is something that's happening all over the place. And usually when you hear it, 
you you think negative, or I don't, but when other people hear, they think very negatively of it. And it's it's the concept of gentrification, where you've got uh, people, investors buying neighborhoods, buying buildings, uh, investing, fixing them up. And what happens is it kind of pushes the lower income folks out and the higher income folks in. Now it's transforming places. And in and, and, and this area in Brooklyn, I, I remember it from years ago, I was stunned the first time I went down there after I couldn't believe the area. It would look like a it looked like a brand new place. I mean, new new apartment buildings, new stores. Uh I'm just absolutely beautiful. Um you know, what what what's your take on that? I mean, sometimes people do t- talk about it as if it's a uh, I mean, I I guess it's tough if you if you if you can't afford the rents and you end up having to move out, you got to live somewhere. But I think they're 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 beautifying these a lot of times really run down communities and neighborhoods. Well, listen, run down areas should be, uh, you know, built up. Uh, our, our cities here in Connecticut, Hartford, New Haven, Bridgeport, they very much need gentrification. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the bigger uh, issue is uh, we've got to bring down the, the cost of housing. There's a, there's a survey the other day that uh, said that uh, the, uh, the cost of housing relative uh, to, to incomes has uh, never been more extreme than it is, uh, you know, right now. Yeah. Um, I, I, the conference I went to 50 years ago about uh, redistributing the poor uh, really, you know, bear, bears on this. Uh, you don't want the poor concentrated. Uh, you know, you want presumably you want to lift them up and integrate them at the at, at the same time. You can't do that without. Uh, a lot of uh, of new new housing. You can't do it unless people are able to support themselves better. But uh, gentrification is exactly what Hartford and New Haven and Bridgeport need. And in fact, the mayors of uh, of Hartford and uh, and New Haven, uh, uh, Luke Ronan and Justin Elliker, have been quoted a couple times as saying that they'd like to uh, move a lot of their poor people out of the city and into the suburbs. <laughs> Why? Because you know, desperately poor people are uh, are, are are a burden. Yeah. Um, but you know, you can't you can't de- deport uh, the poor to Guatemala. I mean, these are our people, <laughs> right. and uh, uh, you have to make living conditions uh, affordable. And you know, you've also got to make people capable of of uh, of supporting themselves. And you know, we're not doing that. You know, in Singapore, they they have a wonderful system in Singapore. I've been there a few times, and I think. Uh, Bloomberg News had a story about their housing policy uh, last year that uh, I sent to a few people. Uh, in Singapore, the government builds tons of of apartment buildings and, and, and condos, really, uh, and it allows people to use their social insurance savings um, as down payments on uh, purchasing this housing. And they, they also do something that we can't do uh, for constitutional reasons. Singapore is a uh, fairly uh, uh, racially sensitive uh, place. You've, you've got a lot of uh, uh, Malays, you've got a lot of Chinese, you've got a, a lot of Caucasians. Uh, Singapore assigns people, or, or, or really, yeah, assigns people to the housing they can buy. Uh, so that it prevents any ghettoization and, you know, too too much tribalism. But uh, Singapore basically in- ensures that anybody who wants to own his own home can do so, and does so, you know, with uh, in part with his uh, social insurance money that he can use for 
for a down payment. And so you get an ownership society in Singapore. Uh, you have much less income inequality than we have here in, in, in the United States. And you get a pretty cohesive uh, no. society that way. You're, you're, ownership you're makes with... the difference, Chris, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's what we should be uh, you know, trying to emulate here. I, I don't know it really can be done on a on a state level, because if you're giving stuff away in one state, uh, everybody's going to you know, yeah, right. migrate. Sure. Uh, but uh, you know the the intent of our housing policy with uh, government subsidized loans originally was to increase ownership of housing. Once you get uh, ownership of housing, you know you've got a really substantial stake in society, right. and you begin right. to respect property makes rights. All and, the difference uh, in the world, Chris. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I gotta, it does make all the difference. I got to stop our conversation here for the new but thank you so much and and uh, i always appreciate talking with you and i know the folks love hearing from you chris powell uh, journal inquirer thanks so much chris have a good day thanks will feel better bye-bye okay, thank you